Find in your Bible 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. That's going to be our passage today. And it will not be on any screens, so you're going to have to look at it. You can use your screen. You can use the Bible in front of you, the one you brought. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 16 through 21. The title today is, I Believe I Am a New Creation. Help me embrace what that actually means as I learn to live my life for Christ. And this is a really important concept. It it actually says more than it sounds like it says. We are a new creation in Christ. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to start by reading the passage. And I'll comment a little bit through the passage. And then we'll go to our notes. So let's start. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. It says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. And I just want to stop right there. I don't want us to pass this by. We regard no one, we look at no one from a worldly point of view. The worldly point of view is what can I get from you? Are you helping me achieve my goals? Are you in my way? It's all about me. I'm going to look at you based on how you're interacting with, how you're helping, or how you're hindering me from getting where I need to go. So, We don't get to look at anyone that way anymore. Now we're going to look at them from a different point of view. It continues on to say, Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Now that's really interesting. When did we regard Christ, when did we look at Christ from a worldly point of view? Well, I would say definitely before we were saved. Before we understood that he was the Son of God, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he came so that we could have forgiveness and have a relationship with him. We looked at him as just a person. Just a person, a historical person, a famous person, a person whose name is said a lot. He was just a person. He wasn't Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He was just Jesus. When this was written, many of the people standing there had seen Jesus Uh, had heard of Jesus, had spoke to people who had seen Jesus, and many of them, when they heard about him, he was just a guy who said some cool things, and they didn't know what to do with him. The disciples didn't know what to do with him in the beginning. Um, the, The teachers of the law definitely didn't know what to do with him. So a lot of people saw him as just a man until he started performing miracles. And he healed people, and he walked on water, and he turned water into wine, and he calmed the storm. And he he took two fish and five loaves and fed 5,000, and he started doing things like this. Then they started wondering who he was. And then when he died on the cross, they thought, well, apparently he wasn't who we hoped he was because he's dying, but then he rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, then, then all of a sudden things started to make sense, and some of the things he said made more sense, and and Jesus continued to teach. And then the Holy Spirit came, and pretty soon, a lot of people realized they had viewed him not correct. They had viewed him as a man. They should have viewed him as the Messiah. He didn't fit the role they thought he was going to play, but he did play the role of the Messiah. And they recognized him, and now they don't look at him that way. But it's real interesting that he says, but we once regarded Christ in this way. We do know so, we we." We don't any longer. And they're saying that just like we view Christ differently, we need to view other people differently. So verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. 
The old has gone, the new is here. The new creation has come. The fact that you look at people differently indicates that you're a new and different person. The fact that, that you, you, you act differently, think differently, you are different, is, is proof that you're a new person, you're a new creation. There's lots of old stuff that have left and a lot of new stuff that has come. Verse 18. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciled to the world, was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Reconciliation is, is being saved. It's reconciling the accounts. It's, it's creating the relationship, restoring the relationship. And he said, God, through Christ, restored the relationship with us, and now it's our job to help others restore that same relationship. So verse 20 says, We are therefore, because of this, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now in verse 21, where it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin, you probably have a little mark, mine's a B, maybe you have a different letter, but an indicator, there's a note below, and then in the note below it says, or be a sin offering. It can be translated both ways. I prefer the sin offering, so let me read it like that. God made him who had no sin to be a sin offering for us. Remember, he was the lamb. The lamb was the sin offering that they gave over and over and over and over again to, re to forgive the sins that they committed over and over and over again. And Jesus was the final lamb to forgive all sin. He was the last lamb, so he became a sin sacrifice for us. So there's, there's the passage. I want to I pull out a few particular things, and then I want to zero in on, on two verses. So in your notes, number one, we should never look at another person without seeing them through the eyes of God. We should never look at another person without seeing them through the eyes of God. So we, we because we are believers, because we are saved, because we are the new creation, because the Holy Spirit is within us, we will look at other people differently. And, and that's a good thing, and we have to maintain that. We can't let that be tarnished. So how are we going to see them? Well, how does God see them? How are we supposed to see them? Well, I have five things for you. I'll let you look at those references in your own time. Most of you can probably uh, quote those verses. But A, we need to look at other people as an image bearer of God. An image bearer of God. Now that's some words that might be hard to kind of understand what that means. We don't really talk about that. But it really indicates, like when we talked about life and, and being pro-life, the image of God being within human makes us special. The reason we are the, the pinnacle of creation, we are the most important part of creation, the reason that humans were commanded to uh, take care of creation, to rule over the animals and the fish and the birds and the land, is because we are the top of creation. Uh, God breathed breath into our nostrils so that we have life. We were not simply spoken into existence. We were formed into existence. So we are a special creation. And God says, I made you in my image. 
I made you like me to reflect me so that when you interact with each other, you should see God in each other. Now, sin has tainted that quite a bit, but even the, the last person you think would ever be saved has a reflection of God. They have intelligence. They have a conscience. They have creativity. They're able to reason. They're able to love. They're able to make decisions. They can write poetry. They can write songs. They can, they can be devoted Things not available to the animal kingdom. We are an image bearer of God. And God says, because I made you in my image, you are that much more important, that much more valuable. So when we look through God's eyes, we see other people and we go, wow, you are important. You are valuable. Jesus died for you. You, you are someone I need to be interested in. I need to care about you because you're an image bearer of God. And that's the phrase that should remind us of that. Be in your notes, we are someone who Jesus came to save. He came to save us while we were enemies. He came to save us when we were unlovable, unlovely, unworthy. We were un-everything. We had nothing to offer Jesus, but he came to save us. His purpose for coming to earth was so that our sins could be forgiven and we could have a relationship with him so that our lives on earth could be changed from the inside out, and so that our eternal life could be changed from hell to heaven. So we are image bearers of God, and Jesus came to save us. See, we are someone loved by God. It says, for God so loved the world. Not just certain people in the world, not just certain people from certain parts of the world, but the whole world, all the people of the world. And he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. How much did he love us? He loved us enough that he gave his son. Jesus loved us enough that he came and died. So we're image bearers who Jesus came to save. He did that because he loves us so much. And we should look at everyone as someone who needs to be saved. Everyone we meet needs to be saved because on our own, in our human condition, we are destined for hell. Hell is not where we want anyone to go. If you ever said the words, go to hell or something like that, you should instantly cringe on the inside because that would be the worst possible thing you could wish on somebody. And, and, and so we, we realize that without Christ, everyone is on their way to hell by their own choice, marching in line, even rushing to get there. We need to bring them the good news, and we need to realize that God wants them to be saved. We need to look at people and say, you are an image bearer of God who Jesus came to save because he loves you, and I need to see you as someone who needs to be saved. And then E, for those that are saved, we're part of God's family. So we look around the room at people who are saved, and we say, you know, one step beyond everyone else, we're actually part of the same family. We're going to gather together. We're going to love each other, encourage each other. We're going to help each other, share with each other, pray for each other. We're going to teach each other. We're going to do things that families do. So when it says to stop looking as the world looks, as worldly people, we always looked at the lens of me. How will this affect me? How will this benefit me? What's this going to cost me? When we look through God's eyes, we look at someone as someone loved by God, and we say, how can I help them? How can I serve them? How can I get them to where they need to be? How can I love them like Christ loves 
me and like Christ loves the church. So we'll never look at another person the same way. Two, when, number two, sorry, when we're wrong, when we thought Jesus was simply a man, and it's just as wrong to view believers in this way as well, simply men. When, when, when you come to Christ, you're no longer just a man, just a human being, just a woman, just a child. Now you're a child of the king, you're in the family of God, you belong to a family of believers, you're you're not what you were. And since we're not what we were, something has changed. Therefore, number three, because we are not merely humans anymore, we must be new creations. And that's what Paul says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The King James says, you are a new creation. So because we're not merely human anymore, because something has changed, we're new creations. And because we're new creations, it says the old is gone and the new has replaced it. That's what I want you to write in the notes, replaced it. It hasn't been added to, it's replacing. And one of our tasks as we live the Christian life is to keep pulling the old away and keep replacing it with the new. Some things happen automatically, some things happen over time. And so number four, the reason we are new creations is to continue Jesus' work of reconciliation. I've said this many, many times, and and I really want you to get it because it really helps you focus and, and, and think correctly. There is only one thing that we can do for God on this earth that we cannot do for God in heaven. There's only one thing, and that's share the gospel with unbelievers. We can't do that in heaven because there won't be any unbelievers in heaven. So our sole task, the the single reason we have been left on this earth after our own salvation is to share the gospel with others, to to be a light, to be the salt, to be an ambassador, to be an example, to be a voice, to answer questions, to invite someone to church, to literally share the gospel so that they can be saved. So we look at people as someone who needs to be saved. We realize that it's my job to tell them So now my purpose in living is to serve God. So I need to love God, love others, and share the gospel. Anything else I can do for God can be done in heaven, so this must be the reason that he's left us here. Number five, we should think of this ministry as being ambassadors of Christ, and we're going to spend time on that when we get to the other side of our notes, so I'll just kind of move past that now. Number six, the means of our salvation or reconciliation, or new creation. They all mean the same thing. The means of our salvation is the payment Jesus made for us as he took our sin upon himself on the cross, as he became the sacrifice, as he became the sacrifice for sin. Our sin was placed upon him. So that's the means of our salvation, and that tells us a couple things, A and B in your notes. Hey, someone must pay for my sin. Every sin will be paid for. Every lie I've told, everything I've stolen, every bad attitude I've had, every word I said that shouldn't have been said, everything I didn't do that I should have done, the big to the small, the minuscule to the large, every sin must be paid for. So B, it will either be me paying for them in hell which is the natural way, me paying for my own sin in hell, or it will be Jesus 
paying for them on the cross. So either I pay for my sin or Jesus pays for my sin, the decision is final at my death. Now let me give you an example. Maybe I can make this super clear. Let's say that you've missed a few PUD bills, and they're threatening to turn your electricity off. So you go get a, an extra job, you mow lawns, you do something, you get some money together, you hope you have enough to, to stave off the electricity being turned off, and you go to the PUD office and you say, here's $400, please apply this to my bill. The lady types in your name and your address, and she looks at it a little bit, she looks at you, she looks down, and she says, well, good news. Someone came in already and gave us the money to cover your bill. All you have to do is sign this piece of paper acknowledging that it was paid and accept the payment. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but that's all you have to do. Just acknowledge it and accept it, and then you don't owe us anything. Well, at that point in time, you have a choice. You could say, I don't take charity. I'm not going to take that money. You give it back to them and tell them I don't want it. I'll pay my $400, That if you need to turn my lights off, then turn them off, because I don't take charity, and I don't want this. That is uh, an approach. You could say that. And the lady behind the desk would go, okay, thank you for your payment. I'll let them know. And then you will not get what was paid already. You rejected it, and it is not yours. Or you could stand at the counter and say, wow, I can't believe somebody came in ahead of me and paid my bill. So now I don't have to. I don't have to worry about the consequences of not paying my bill. I don't have to go home and, 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 and worry about this anymore. Yeah, I'll accept it. What do I sign? Uh, please tell them thank you. And I sign it and I accept it. Then I walk away, my bill paid in full, my obligation erased. So similarly, Jesus knows you have a bill you can't pay. It's the bill of sin. And it's going to take you eternity to pay. And so he comes in and he says, I, I'm going to make the payment. I'm going, to, I'm going to make the payment and it's here. All they have to do is acknowledge it and accept it. And that payment was made on the cross. And you can hear that and, and you, can, you can hear about what Jesus did. And we're going to talk more about this on Easter. And, and you can say, well, God paid the price for my sin, and now I don't have to. I don't have to deal with the guilt and the regret. I don't have to deal with the wondering, and I don't have to deal with the consequences of my sin because Jesus took care of them for me. Yes, I will acknowledge that, and I will accept it. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that. Or you could say, well, you know what? I did the sin. I'm going to do the time. Now I'm going to take care of myself. I don't need it now. I don't need it ever. Maybe later we'll see, but right now I'm just good. I don't really want to be obliged to anybody. You can come up with any old reason you want. And, and you can say no. And then the payment that Jesus made is not applied to your account. And when the consequences are due, they're due from you. So like your lights are turned off by the PUD, you'll stand before God, and, and he'll say, well, I'm here to give you what you asked for. You will pay the price for your own sin. Exit left. That's where hell is. So somebody will pay the price for my sin. It will either be me or it will be Jesus. And the decision is final at my death. God gives us our entire lifetime. The, the key is we don't know how long our lifetime is, right? 
that it gives us our entire lifetime to make that decision. And I would encourage you, if you've been considering it, if God's been working on your heart, I would encourage you to make that decision now. Don't wait. Because you are not guaranteed tomorrow. And death does make your decision final. Jesus has paid the price. It is on record. It is waiting for you to say, I acknowledge it and I accept it. And then, and then you're part of this family that we're talking about. So let's turn our notes over. And, and we're going to kind of zero on, and, and on, on verse 17 and verse 20. Verse 17 talks about being a new creation. Verse 20 talks about being an ambassador. And so it says, you're a new creation. The old has gone and new has come. The new is here. Well, what is the old and what is the new? Well, let's start with the new. When you are saved, when your sins are forgiven, when you begin a relationship with Christ, then one of the new things you get is salvation. You get to be saved. With your salvation comes eternal life. What are you saved from? You're saved from the penalty of sin. If you're, if you're drowning you're, and the lifeguard saves you, he saved you from drowning. He saved you from the uh, consequence of sinking in the water. Right? If, if a fireman saves you, he saves you from burning up. He saves you from the consequences of being caught in the fire. Jesus saves you from sin and the consequences of sin. So now you have salvation, and with salvation comes eternal life. You've traded eternal life in hell for eternal life in heaven. You also receive a spiritual gift. You receive an ability you didn't have before given to you by God so that you can serve him. It may be small, it may be large, it may be something you discover, it may be something that automatically or immediately shows up, but he gives you a gift, and then he says, this is, this is how you're going to be useful in my kingdom. This is the part of the body that you're going to be. He also gives us the Holy Spirit. The moment of your salvation, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you, and the Holy Spirit does certain things. I've listed three of them. The first one is illumination. Illumination means the Holy Spirit shines a brighter light on the scriptures. So the Holy Spirit helps me understand what I'm reading. Many people have said that I read the Bible before I was saved and it didn't make any sense at all. After I was saved, all of a sudden, I read the same words and they started making sense. And they changed my life. The Holy Spirit helps us understand scriptures called illumination. The Holy Spirit guides us, nudges us in a direction, helps us make a decision, reminds us of principles from scripture. Guides us in, in direction, in decision, in life. He's a guide for us. He's also kind of re-enhances our conscience. So the conscience is restored. So we have this innate knowledge of right and wrong. Well, we're about to do something wrong, and we think, you know, this doesn't feel right. And that's the Holy Spirit going, eh, it ain't right. You need to do something different. So the Holy Spirit is something we get new. We have a purpose. I, I, my purpose is to love God, love others, and share the gospel. So now I, I have a, a, a purpose. I have something to work towards. I have my marching orders. I'm going to live my life in such a way that my life reflects loving God, loving others, and sharing the gospel. I'm going to try to, to express this to everyone around me. I'm going to make sure I have a loving relationship with God, a loving relationship with others. And when those two things are seen or asked about, then I bring in the gospel. And if God says, hey, I, I know you're not ready, but right now I want you to share with somebody, then we go do it as well. We also receive the fruit of the Spirit. 
love, joy, peace, patience, these kinds of things, these kinds of things just automatically start showing up. I'm more patient than I used to be. I'm more loving than I used to be. I'm more caring than I used to be. I like people more than I used to. I'm not as jealous as I used to be. I don't get angry like I used to. The fruits of the Spirit start showing up and my life starts to be different. When we see blessings related to my relationship, there are some blessings we get simply because we know God, and there's more blessings that show up because we respond to God in obedience, and there's future blessings when we're with God in heaven. So we receive blessings. I now have standards to live by, doctrines, doctrines to believe in, convictions to guide my life. I have boundaries that God has set so that I can move forward in life with, in, in safety and, and pleasing Him. And I have a forever family with God, and He is my spiritual Father. So I, I gain a lot, instantly gain a lot. What are things that are gone? Well, the penalty of sin is gone. I no longer owe death because of my sin. I'm no longer, my reservation for hell is canceled. Okay, I no longer have the guilt of that. I also no longer have a broken relationship with God because now my relationship is restored. So it's not a broken relationship. It's not something I long for. It's something I experience. I used to be all on my own with no help and no hope used to be all up to me, pull myself up by my bootstraps, figure out how to live life, struggle to get ahead, make a name for myself, all these things. It's up to me. No one's really going to help me, and I don't have a lot of hope, because no matter how hard I try, I can't build the eternity I'm looking for. I can't figure out what comes after this life. I have no hope. Well, that's all gone now, because I'm not on my own. The Holy Spirit lives in me. God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I have a family that helps, and I have, I have God who's involved, and I have lots of hope because I have promises I can count on. And then the other thing that disappears is my inability to control or identify false narratives. All of a sudden, I can spot the lie, and I don't have to listen to it. Whereas before, more often than not, I just heard the lie and believed the lie because I didn't have the Holy Spirit, and I didn't understand the Word of God. So a lot of new stuff shows up and a lot of old stuff disappears. And then over time, as God works, more new stuff appears and more old stuff disappears. So that over time, you become more mature. So these are the characteristics of the new creation. Okay, and then in verse 20, he says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Because we're a new creation, because we're reconciled, because we're called to help others reconcile, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. I love that line, as if God was making his appeal through us. What does it mean to be an ambassador? In your notes, A, an ambassador lives in a foreign land, not his home. You cannot be an ambassador in your hometown. You, know, you really can't be an ambassador in your own country. You have to go somewhere else and live among foreign people to be an ambassador. So, According to God, since we are ambassadors, this is no longer our home. This is no longer our primary identification. Our primary identification is the kingdom of God. And our, our primary authority is God himself and the book he wrote. 
So an ambassador lives in a foreign land, not his own. An ambassador represents the goals, values, and desires of the leader who sent them, not their own. When the Russian ambassador says something to, to our president, our president takes that as the word of Putin, right? When our ambassador goes there and speaks, they hear it as the word of our president. That's how an ambassadorship works. They represent us, and what they say represents our country. They are not to share their own ideas and their own values and their own goals. They are to represent the values and goals of the one who sent them. That is their job. They don't, they don't really even have to understand. They just have to represent. So as ambassadors, we need to realize that our leader is God. We represent Jesus Christ. And we need to represent his goals, his values, and his desires. And when ours don't agree with his, ours need to change, not his. So that's part of being an ambassador. C, an ambassador is the present and tangible source by which the one they represent is rightfully judged and evaluated. This is where it really gets, gets in the weeds, if you will. God is making his appeal through us. God says, this is my ambassador. Therefore, he says to the person you're talking to, you have the right to judge me based on him or her. It's a bit heavy, isn't it? God says, when you interact with other people and, and you're telling them about me, they get to judge me based on who, who you are, how you act, and what you say. So as an ambassador, I want to I be and act and say the things that God would be and act and say. Because that's how it works. He's giving us that privilege and that responsibility. So number three, as ambassadors, we must show others what it means to be a new creation. Not tell others. We'll get to the telling, but you can't tell until you've shown if someone looks at you and doesn't see Christ, they could care less what you have to say about him. If, if you live just like or worse than everybody else who doesn't profess their faith in Christ, why would they want to hear your opinion about Christ? So you need to show them by the way you talk, by the way you work, by the way you interact with your family, the way you interact with your neighbors, the way you love, the way you help. Others need to see your life, see all those new things evident in you embracing them, so they will want to know who you are and what you have, and ask questions. Then when they've seen it, or when they ask, then B, you tell others how they can also become a new creation. Remember, that's the point of us being here, to tell them. We don't live the Christian life in front of others so they can come up and pat us on the back and go, oh, good job, two points for you. Or, wow, I think you're great. No, no, don't think I'm great. Think God's great. Let me tell you about God. So we're going to show them what it means to be a new creation. We're going to tell them how to become a new creation. And then we're going to train other new creations on how to embrace their identity in Christ. So... Really, this is the same sermon I've preached 20, 30 times, just with different words from a different passage. Basically, we're called to be disciples. We're to take in all we can 
of the knowledge and understanding of God. And then we are to give it out to others, both to raise them up spiritually as believers and to help non-believers find Christ. In this passage, we're called ambassadors, and we use that word a lot. It gives a flavor to it. Others have permission to judge God based on me because I'm an ambassador, because I represent him. So our phrase for today, our, our title and the beginning of our closing prayer, I believe I am a new creation. Help me embrace what that actually means as I learn to live my life for Christ. Now some of you are here today and you're not saved. You haven't taken that step to say, you know, Jesus, I do believe you are the Son of God, and I do believe you died on the cross, and I do believe that you're willing to pay the price for my sin. I acknowledge that, and I, I accept that. And, and based on that, please forgive my sins, and, and now let me learn to live for you. Some of you never had that conversation. I'd, I'd like you to consider having that conversation. You can do it at home. You can do it in your car. You can talk to someone, a friend who's, who's already a believer, and they can walk you through that process. I'd be more than happy to do that. It, it, you don't have to wait till Easter. By all means, don't wait till Easter. You have the opportunity right now. And you can, you can become one of these new creations, and, and these new things we talked about can be yours, and these old things that we talked about can be gone. And then you can learn to live as a new creation. If you are saved, then, then we need to grasp this concept. We, we need to walk around with a thought in our mind that I represent God to all the people around me. When they find out I'm a Christian, they get to judge God based on what they've seen in my life and what they've heard come out of my mouth and how I've interacted and so I need to be on my game. Not because I want to look good or I want to put on a show, but because I want God to look good. And I want God's message to go out because I see people as God sees them. I see them as someone Jesus died for because he loved them and someone that he wants to save. See that coming full circle? Beginning of the passage to the end of the passage, right back to the beginning of the passage. And that's what we need to do. So it says, I'm a new creation. Help me embrace what that actually means as I learn to live my life for Christ. So we're going to pray that together out loud. That's going to be the beginning of our prayer, and then I will close. So let's start together. I am a new creation. Help me embrace what that actually means as I learn to live my life for Christ. Well, Father, it's, it is a challenge to live for you. It's, it's harder than most of us thought. But the rewards are tremendous. The lack of guilt for past sins, the incredible knowledge that we have eternity in heaven with you to look forward to, the help we get, help we get right now in, in living our life and, and doing it effectively, the joy and peace I have that comes from within, the ability I have to love others that I didn't before, so many blessings. And Father, just help me and, and us and, and us as a church to show that to other people so that they, they will see our good deeds and see our nature 
and, and see the way we think and the way we interact and say to themselves, wow, this is different. You have changed. You're not who you used to be. What happened? And then with that opportunity and with that question, we can tell them about you and, and tell them that they too can be saved and they too can start to change. And one day they'll look back and won't even recognize themselves. So Father, I pray that we would respond to the call of the gospel and I pray that we would respond in sharing the gospel. Help us do those things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.